Welcome to the Wellbeing for Musicians podcast, a space for you to find support and performance wellbeing resources, helping you on your journey to becoming a happier, healthier musician. I'm your host, Veronika Klirova. So, good morning. Good morning. Um, <laughs> if you're in the UK. And welcome to today's interview with Sally Morgan. Welcome, Sally, and thank you for agreeing to do this. We had a little chat yesterday, and it was already so interesting. Like, I think I'm going to learn a lot of myself <laughs> about hearing health. So it's really great that you said yes to this, and it's nice to talk about this kind of openly. So Sally is my friend and colleague. She's a double bass player, and she's had quite a long career in uh symphony orchestra, I think, in classical music. So Sally, can you tell us where you are at the moment in the world? Good morning, everyone. And thank you so much for asking me to talk about hearing. I'm actually in Warwickshire, which is just south of Birmingham in the UK. Of course, I've been there. (laughs) It's a really nice village. I'm very lucky. I used to live in the city in Birmingham, which is where I grew up. And so, yeah, my hearing journey started in 2004. I got intermittent bits of tinnitus appearing. You often hear them late at night. So I thought, I'll go and get this checked out. At that point, I didn't go to my doctor. I'd seen an article in the Musician Union magazine about Harley Street hearing services. And there was nothing available at work at that time. So off I trotted and sure enough, they diagnosed me with a hearing loss. And my grass had these two cooking notches, which is what? They turn. And so they said, well, you need custom made earplugs, which, you know, I had never heard of these and they do look like this. And many musicians now wear these. And I had to pay for those myself and the hearing test. And they said at the time that many musicians in London were wearing these kind of earplugs and they were trying different things, including um, an electronic form of earplug. I then went back and I, I wore my earplugs and I seemed to be the only one in my area wearing earplugs at that time. And it was really awkward. We didn't have them on a string like this, which is really easy. They don't go floating down the floor and bouncing away. You often have them on the music standing quiet patches and then you'd pop them in. And I think I got another pair paid for by work a couple of years later, but it wasn't for a further five years that I actually had a proper hearing test at work. And that was at Aston University. And they sure enough said, mm, Sally, it was quite a long appointment of an hour. And they wrote me a report and they said, you need to go and seek help at the hospital. Well, fortunately, I had been going to Sally Oak Hospital at that point. And so off I went to the QE in Birmingham, have an amazing audiology section. And I think most places, have NHS hearing units that are really helpful. Yeah, I was diagnosed with this hearing loss. And when I came out of that first appointment in London, I was quite upset. You know, losing your hearing is seen as a threat to your career. I didn't quite see it like that. It's like maybe having glasses. You know, everybody wears glasses and you think, man, I've got to wear glasses. But um, a friend called me and I said, um, oh, I've got this hearing loss. And he's a musician and he said, to me, oh, don't worry about that. We're all going deaf where we are and the cellos and basses are all going deaf. And so this really isn't, wasn't really very good. So yeah, my journey has been a long 
long one. And I must, I didn't say about my career, I freelanced when I left college and there wasn't the knowledge then, of course, there was nothing at music college about looking up to your hearing or where you're sitting or practice. So I was freelancing for four years. I played in lots of pit orchestras and I joined my orchestra now and I didn't have a problem. I didn't have a problem with the loudness. I sat through, you know, really, really loud guru leaders, modern music, symphony, and I didn't have this sensitivity. So when you are young, yeah, you can sit through anything. It's such a big theme, no? You can get away with a lot. I think when, when you're at college or in your 20s, it kind of seems like it's always going to be like that. But I guess over time, it catches up with you if you don't do the things to prevent those issues. Exactly. And I was down the line diagnosed with a noise-induced hearing loss. It's an NIHL. And you really don't want to get this because life gets really tough. That's a good point, right? Because it's not just about when you make music. It also affects like your life around performance or work. Yeah, I mean, people will invite me to pop concerts or an evening out and I have to really think about it. And I've had to turn down a lot of things like going to local gigs, you know, it's amplified. Even discos, you remember, you know, you used to go to nightclubs when you were younger. Everybody did. I cannot do that. And even when I go to performances, I went to the RSC this week and saw a musical and I took along my earplugs because luckily I found there were some good gunshots happening. Fortunately, I saw the gun and so I was ready. There were many score groups there as well. So they're really handy. So I have had a lot of these earplugs over the years. And fortunately for me, I started wearing them very soon. I You can practice at home with them. I know they're not ideal for a lot of musicians, especially wind and brass players, because somehow the sound goes back in your head. But I don't know where I've been if I didn't start, hadn't started wearing these, to be honest, Veronica. And they come in different ranges. So I think the musician ones are ER15s, which take off 15 decibels and allow a certain amount of sound through. And I wear them now. They're about 25 or 27s for heavy rock users. Um, yeah. I do have a sensitivity to sound now, which is called recruitment, which is also what you don't want to get. I should have said this at the beginning, but I think it's fair to say that we're not here, either of us, giving medical advice. Out of the two of us, you definitely have done a fair bit of education about this yourself because you've had that journey with those issues. And also, you know, we're going to be sharing some resources at the end, but just to reiterate that this is not medical advice. No. You're speaking from your own experience and education. So... There will be things that you can do and specialists that we will signpost to at the end. Would you maybe, because I think the terms, maybe people are kind of aware what they mean, but could you talk about what hearing loss is? And I think, did you mention tinnitus as well? I think. Yeah, hearing loss, as it sounds, is a reduction in your hearing. And there's many types of hearing loss. And information can be found probably on Action for Hearing Loss from the British Tinnitus Association. I mean, you can have hearing loss through age-related. When you get in your 50s, 60s, 70s, it's part of life. It does deteriorate. So, yeah, I have this tinnitus, which at the time I first got my hearing test was very tiny and wasn't always there, I think. 
but it's really crept into my life big time. But I also think a noise-induced hearing loss happens over a long time. It just doesn't happen suddenly, although you could have sudden hearing things, as we know from the news, where people have suddenly been exposed to loud things, and that's not great. You know, you can go to a heavy rock concert and you have the ringing the following day, but normally it dissipates, doesn't it? But unfortunately, with these things I'm talking about, it can stay with you. And I'm going to be talking about strategies and coping mechanisms to help you. The ringing you mentioned, would that be kind of an early sign or is that something to be worried about or if it dissipates, it's okay? I definitely don't think you should be too worried because you can have ringing without having a hearing loss. And it will my hearing loss and have no sound in your ears. There's not a one size fits all. I think everybody's different. Everybody's physiology is different and reactions and everything. But I believe that your emotional side in your brain is quite near to your hearing nerve. And so I think sometimes the wiring gets out of sync. That's all of how I can explain it. And so sometimes it's a really stressful thing. And I think. Getting a hearing loss, also for a musician, the career is at stake and they see, they might see it as, oh gosh, this might mean my, t uh, my hearing deteriorates and I might be looked at in a different way. So when I first sort of came out and said, well, I've got this hearing loss, da, 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 you know, I did have people come talk to me and get in contact and say, this is happening to me. But now the whole topic is you know, it's out there, thank goodness. When you first realized this was happening, can you kind of mention like what year that was? How long ago? Yeah, that was 2004. And then I got tested in 2009 at work. And very recently we have regular testing. And I think a lot of employers have sat up and taken action because there was noise legislation in 2008. When you go out and about, you'll see perhaps in parks and golf clubs, they'll be mowing the lawn and they're all, they've got these ear defenders on. Would you say like since then, is the situation different now than your experience around it in 2004? I think that the music profession took a while to catch up with the outside world. Well, my hearing therapist, I had a tinnitus therapist who used to visit factories in the area and give advice about noise. And I was with him for seven years and he kept me on his books because I think he was very intrigued by my situation. And I think there was a lot of catching up to do and a lot of information that wasn't out there for musicians necessarily. It was there, but it was kind of on websites and there was Harley Street Hearing, of course. And now, of course, the Musicians Union will help you with earplugs and hearing tests and subsidize that. And that wasn't available all those years ago, of course. And at work, of course, you had to prove you had a figuring loss in order to have earplugs, which is completely <laughs> nuts, right? You have to have a hearing loss to have a hearing loss prevention device. So luckily, that's not the case anymore, actually. You know, a lot of employees will buy them regularly. It's interesting that you mentioned once you, and you were, used the words came out. You said for you, it really felt like you kind of came out of the closet because it was such a hush-hush thing. That it's like the gates were open and suddenly people started getting in touch yeah. about their issues. Oh, I, I'm struggling with yes. this as well. It's just that they haven't been talking about them. It's like a silent group. You know, we were talking to each other on Facebook Messenger and people would say, oh, I've got a hearing problem, but I haven't told my friends. And it can include 
teachers. It doesn't have to be orchestral musicians. I had a friend who was teaching violin and he got tinnitus when his pupils played the violin. So he, he wrote to me regularly saying, oh, what shall I do? And I advised them to go and get the earplugs. That's um, an important point, right? It's not just when you're sitting in a band and playing. Yeah. So the sound when you're teaching. Funnily enough, I just read online that concert goers, if you're regularly going to classical music, 61% of you will get some sort of hearing Oh dear. <laughs> it was classical music concerts, really. Uh, something like that, but concerts. But we are living in a noisier world, let's face it. You know, you go out and about, you go to a coffee shop and it's loud. And I always have to say, do you mind turning the music down? Yeah. You, know, you can go to restaurants and they make them louder. In fact, there's this wonderful book I found when it came out, I read this book called Sound. It's brilliant. And it says that restaurants actually make their interiors louder. They take off the soft furnishings so that if you've got a few people in the restaurant, it makes it seem like there's 40 people where there's only two tables. But that makes so much sense because sometimes these days I come out from dinner and it's like, <sighs> everything is much quieter because you come out, your head is like this from the sound, from the noise and exhale, okay, we're out. And the crushing of bottles and crockery as well. That goes with being in a noisy restaurant. Things that you wouldn't really realize did have an impact. So can you talk about a little bit, I think you touched on it a little bit, how it can come about that you end up with some kind of hearing loss. So you mentioned like there can be instances where it's like a sudden loud noise that causes hearing loss. Yeah. And you also mentioned over time. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, I didn't really realize in 2004 really what it was doing to me playing an orchestra. Of course, we didn't have rotation and we didn't have rotation on the stage. Yet there was legislation given by the government. I think it's called a sound ear prevention. It's the HSE website kind of information. There wasn't the knowledge then. So yeah, gradually my hearing did deteriorate a bit more, but I've managed to keep it quite stable by wearing my earplugs and being careful, basically. And I went, in, when I mentioned 2009 was when I got tested at work and sent to the hospital, I was given hearing aids. Whoa, hearing aids at the age of 39, 40 is not great. But the idea is that you bring the outside sounds up with the hearing aids. And so the just that I had in my ears is less. I actually have hearing aids now that have sound in them. So I've got some really recently, they've got ocean sounds. Um, the tinnitus therapy that I had, my first thing that I was given was this sound device, a sound bot. And I don't know if you can hear that. Is that loud? Way. Water. And funnily enough, sound is a good masking device, really, to shut out and take your mind. It's called habituating from tinnitus but you can't get these now free on the nhs but on the phone apps you can get many tinnitus oh yeah the, white noise there are so many right like free white, white noise apps so the tinnitus would you describe it as a kind of ringing in your ears that doesn't stop yeah it can take many forms it can be buzzing hissing i've got a couple of different sounds and i've also your auditory nerve it's next to your blood supply in your brain so you can actually hear you're throbbing as some people have that and that's can be pulse vital they call it so yeah there's many forms unfortunately it's annoying 
I try and look at it like the naughty child now. Don't give it attention. And I think that's the best advice is really yeah. have strategies. So I think you mentioned to me that you can have both hearing loss and tinnitus, but they can also occur independently on each other. Yes. Not both together. No, because you get many non-musicians that say, well, I've got tinnitus as well. And I suppose it depends on your physiology. There's uh, many resources, self-help for tinnitus, British Tinnitus Association. I'll just talk quickly through. So mindfulness is a really key thing. And mindfulness abounds in lots of things, yoga practice, even in any forms of things that you're doing. Things like relaxation exercises. So one of the first things I was told was sit quietly, close your eyes and imagine walking to somewhere that's pleasant. And we all have those strategies, don't we? Coping in stressful situations. There's also a relaxed exercise where you do a body scan and close your eyes and then squeeze parts of your body to get rid of the tension. So squeeze your ankles, squeeze your feet. And that's part of the yoga or any mindfulness. But I find, yeah, it can be really helpful if you just tell somebody like release here, release there. Yeah. It can be a bit tricky, but once you add that, say, even with the shoulders, like tense and then release, it's suddenly a bit more clear yeah. what are the two sides of it. And also, obviously, it says exercise and diet. What it doesn't mention, funnily enough, is sleep. Well, I think sleep is a really important factor for anybody and your head and your tinnitus and your hearing. You know, when you're tired, any of your senses, cognitive senses, they don't work as well when you get older. Fortunately, I don't have trouble sleeping with tinnitus. I used to use the box a lot after very loud concerts. You know, my husband got used to this thing around and he quite enjoyed it as well. You're going to sleep sure. with you wait. You can set it on a timer. But yeah, tinnitus can be annoying for people that can't sleep. This is really brilliant for someone who already has tinnitus and is struggling with it. We'll definitely yeah. link where you can find that information as well yeah. what about prevention doing things that hopefully should prevent that happening or you can kind of give yourself a better chance of that not happening it's difficult because the very nature of what we do it's almost like being allergic to a chemical can render you with hearing loss it's part of the territory of being a musician I mean you see in the media you know, the Rolling Stones all those Big name bands, there are many musicians there that really struggle and they carry on. Preventative, I think earplugs is definitely an option. Moving away as much from the sound as you can. And at work, no, no one's afraid to use a screen. It's not seen as a weird thing or, oh gosh, they've got a screen. It's part and parcel of like, it's great. When we're all getting the COVID vaccine, aren't we? We're preventing I know it's controversial and I think screens and so on were controversial and moving the orchestra around. But the more it comes into practice, the easier it is. And I think it's much easier for musicians joining orchestras now because there's much more advice and information. And I think information is really key, even on an individual basis, to learn about your hearing and where you're at. Look at your practice times. It's hard being in an orchestra. You have to learn the notes. You have to practice in advance. You know, when the breast players have to do a certain amount of warming up. But just look at work casually at where you're playing and for how long. And in those tea breaks, don't go running off to those noisy environments. Give yourself a break. Do something gentle that you enjoy. I think it's the best thing. Going for a walk is hugely good for you. I've just been for a 
a trot around the field just to clear my head. You know, that's good for everyone and even for, you know, mental well-being. But I think it's really professional to seek help for your hearing if you're worried. You mentioned to me, it's almost like you would treat it like a muscle or if you had were struggling with a muscle injury. With a muscle injury, you said you would do warm-ups and cool-downs and you would see specialist people to help you with it. And maybe you can kind of apply it a little bit more for your hearing as well, treating it like a muscle. The cells and the hairs in your ear need downtime just to relax and recuperate the molecules in there. And I think sometimes in the past, there's not been that facility to do that perhaps. But yes, you need the downtime to recover, recuperate. You know, don't go and do the normal marrying the day after. You wear ear defenders. I've got a colleague who when he vacuums, he says he wears ear defenders. When you're in the kitchen, coffee grinders and things that go buzz can be really annoying. So just be mindful. You're training that awareness of other things, not just when you're sitting in, uh, and working and playing. It can apply to teaching as well, because there are many musicians that teach for great periods of time, don't they? They go in on one day and teach for like eight hours, I imagine. And then you need to recuperate after that. Yeah, especially we were talking about this, some of the rooms that you might teach in are not huge. And like you said, the closer you are to the sound, like when you move away, that's one of the kind of prevention strategies, but sometimes you can't. There's only so much you can do in that situation because that's your work and you can wear earplugs and stuff. So then it's about how you manage it around that time when you work, that you can kind of help yourself, give yourself a chance. I mean, if, you, if there are soft furnishings or even in your home, create. I know somebody who had a little base room. It was tiny and she put curtains around the room to take it off the sand. Another thing actually that just occurred to me is also being prepared in advance for loud concert, knowing where you loud things are going to happen, write things in the music or even listen. I do a lot of listening in advance because I cannot do the super loud pop concerts there I'm not allowed to and in fact my audiologist said easier you can't be next to like a drum so close it's not for you anymore but I do a lot of listening to music in advance so that I can prepare for what I can and can't do if that makes sense. This is so interesting so I've heard this as well that when you know the loud noise is coming and you prepare for it even like mentally yeah it will help you with your hearing. I've read in a book that whistling before the loud bit, I haven't tried that too much, but preparation is key, I think. I mean, obviously in super quiet music, you know, like classical music, I don't wear my earplugs because you want to hear it all around you. Mm. You know, you want to hear your section, you want to see other parts of the orchestra here rather. Yeah, it's a kind of balance. You're constantly balancing. It seems to me like the more we're talking, like it's really not a black and white thing where you would say... Okay, if you have it, it will manifest like this and you have to do this, this, this. It's really kind of like a personal journey that you have to navigate. But luckily, like there are now more resources. And one of them you mentioned is the earplugs, right? And I know even for myself, I didn't used to wear them when I started working. Now I do more. I do sometimes I take them out in quieter bits. But I think, first of all, yeah, you mentioned that discomfort. So I find sometimes I think practicing in them is good to kind of get used to that sensation. But yeah. also I think the bigger thing for me was just other people seeing that I have them. 
not even because it would signal I had some sort of a problem, but just because I almost felt like I'm drawing attention to myself. And it was a bit of a journey for me, like to just say, no, like this is just worth it. I don't care. Yeah. I mean, when I started to wear plugs, I think I knew of two other people in the orchestra wearing them and they didn't have the weight appeal on strings. It used to be, oh gosh, you're admitting you've got a hearing problem because you've got plugs. Well, no, it shouldn't be like that. It's a prevention, a useful prevention. You can get subsidies now for it. So yeah, yeah I mentioned the MU, but BAPAL also provide musicians with help, which you're going to signpost at the end. And the ISM has an awful lot of information. So there is help out there. And we've mentioned freelancing as well. I think it's really hard for freelancers. You want to do the work that you've been booked for and you don't want to be seen as a troublemaker, possibly, you know, speaking up. But um, one of the things that I did notice while I freelanced was I could be sat in one place and then they've moved around the orchestra in the interval and suddenly you've got a barrage of trumpets behind you. That happened as a freelancer. There's no reason why you can't speak as well out as well, because there is a 1974 Health in the Workplace Act where you can go and say, look, this is unreasonable and really be vigilant about these matters because these things do happen. And we must mention freelancing because it's not like being in, in employment and there needs to be work done to help support freelancers. You can definitely go and make it clear that, you know, the situation maybe that you're in is not reasonable. But I also think it's like with wearing the earplugs, the more people actually take steps, earplugs, screens, like all these preventative things, it, it makes it more, I don't want to say normal, it's not a word I really like, but expected that you would take that care because humans imitate the many. And if you see no one wearing earplugs in the band where you are, it takes more effort for you to kind of be the one. So I think that's what we all can do, right? The more you take care of you, it makes it more normal in the environment, in the industry. Yeah. And asking to just move, can I move, you know, a foot away, a couple of feet, it makes an awful lot of difference to the exposure that you're getting. But because for every foot that you move, you're multiplying it, you're almost doubling your exposure. And it's not a big deal to make some space, but I think there was a time where orchestras kind of tried to get close together, but in that, it's not always a good thing. For ensemble, they want to be closer together for the tightness of the sound, but it's not always good for musicians. And staging is another thing that is really important because as we go around different concert halls, some are great, you know, they're really tiered. So the instruments go over the heads of the people down here. But if you're here, which is where I was playing with double bass, it's all going into your head. So there's those matters as well, is staging and the concert hall. It really makes a difference the space you have between yourself and the noise or the sound. And your colleagues. I don't think I'm speaking out of town because I've been reading this book, which is called Playing Less Hurt. Yeah, it was talking about horn sections being close together. Actually, the sound of your colleague is affecting you. So that's a disclaimer because that's actually written in this book. So yeah, it's difficult. This is actually one of the things I enjoyed about the pandemic. Being further away because of the noise. It was just so nice <laughs> to be yeah. those rules. Suddenly it was less demanding for me 
noise-wise to be in yeah. work. So I didn't really mind that much. It was, it was yeah. kind of nice. Yeah, earplugs for sure. Yeah. So you mentioned those coping strategies so you can get hearing aids, right? Yeah, and they're free on the NHS. You know, you don't have to pay thousands of pounds. You can have a simple referral from the doctor. No one need know about it. Spec Savers is a really good point of call. I'm actually taking an elderly friend who's a musician next month for her first hearing test. She's 89. And we go to Spec Savers and she's really scared of going. You know, I can't hear in this ear. Oh, my God. But it affects good communication, Veronica. When you lose your hearing, you can't hear things. And I have lost the ability to hear speech, a lot of speech. So thankfully, I hear really low and really high. So that's great for the bass. But I lo- I've lost the tut and the chut and the sut bands. And I think it happens to a lot of musicians. You know, you're in a big, noisy environment. When you go out, you can't hear everybody clearly. But communication, when you're losing it, you know, you, you get your hearing loss. It can lead to dementia in old age. That's another awful factor. So sound therapy, of all the things, is a good thing to help with tinnitus, obviously not with hearing loss. I have the radio on regularly. You can get talking therapies. I'm not sure they supply that so readily on the NHS, but again, Bapam might be able to signpost you for that. And the relaxations that I've talked about, regular exercise, diet. In fact, I've read a few books and spoken to a few colleagues about things that uh, make your tinnitus worse. And I think caffeine and alcohol have not been proven to show, but salt I read recently in this book, Playing Less Hurt, has been shown. You can take supplements, maybe have that under guidance. So information is really power to help yourself. It's kind of becoming clear to me that there are resources out there and there is help out there. It's how you get from the place where you're ashamed of actually admitting it or even having a chat about it. And I think that it might be what stands in the way of you actually getting help because you're trying to keep it undercover and in that you're preventing yourself from getting help. And it's tough, right? I'm not saying it's easy. No. But it seems to me that the resources are there nowadays. Maybe they weren't decades ago, but now they are. It's just about how do you make this conversation more normal so that people are not in that space of I can't say anything. That's right. I think people can say more now and it's not seen as an inferior thing. And it's about your hearing and ultimately your career. And I think that's why people didn't speak out. They were worried they would be pinpointing for having a hearing loss or ridiculed. Those things did go on. Sadly, the music profession, there is a lack of compassion and empathy that's not in the sports world. To have an injury in the sports world, you have a team that help you. If you're a professional, I'm talking about. But it's much more part and parcel. You know, on the news, you might get, oh, Andrew, Andy Murray, he's, he's injured now. He's getting a hip hop. Oh, dear. You know, in the music crush, it's, oh, they're off again with an injury. Oh, dear. And I think we can also, like, as musicians, we can kind of romanticize the sports world a little bit. I think maybe they're saying that in terms of mental health, it's not that brilliant. Injuries are maybe. Yes, look at, these are the demands, huge demands on the body. Yes, it can happen. You can get injured. Mm -hmm. Same with musicians, really huge demands on your body that Mm -hmm. it wasn't necessarily designed to do. Mm -hmm. You can get injured. So it should be more normal. I think it's not perfect in the sports world, but you're right. 
they're a bit further ahead. And I like the comparison you used with getting glasses, right? So if you don't have perfect vision, nobody would blink an eye when you go get glasses. So it shouldn't be that big a deal if you go get a hearing aid because you are struggling with your hearing. Yeah, I mean, I didn't go into the different types of hearing loss, but not necessarily noise affects your hearing. It can be sinusitis. It can be, yeah, your vascular system can cause things to go wrong. So from your audiogram that they give you once you've had your test, they can see what's possibly causing your problems. And then you can rule things out as well. So and keeping a steady monitor. I mean, now we have regular monitoring every two years and that is good for the musician and yeah speak out because if you don't speak out your employer doesn't know and they can't help you if people have different things you know I'm not the same as a brass player or a wind player the demands on my hearing are different so I think by talking about it and being open it helps both you know the musician and the employer and know where we all are so say somebody was listening to this was a little bit concerned could you mention some of the signposting resources, the places where they can help you? Yeah, so thankfully I went through the NHS for many years and I got really good help there. And obviously I've mentioned the Musicians' Union. There's the British Tinnitus Association. And they do some really good leaflets and also action on hearing loss. They used to be RNID, Royal National Institute for the Deaf. So they've got all these leaflets. I think these are living with hearing aids, understanding tinnitus and ear problems and treatments. That's a wealth of information. Yeah, join the tinnitus, British Tinnitus Association. They've got lots of self-help fact sheets. Speak out, talk to people. You know, there'll be people around that are, the Musicians Union actually has a wealth of information. They've got a number that you can call as well. The same with British Arts Performing Medicine. They've said that they've got audiologists for assessments and information on side. I think you said before, like you can just go to your GP and get a referral, right? It's also, that's also uh, an, an option. Yes. In fact, I've had earplugs from private groups and they'll, private hearing companies will certainly do you a hearing test. The MU have this, is it the hearing passport? So basically you get the test, the assessment, and then you get the earplugs yeah. that normally would cost you quite a bit. But it's within that yeah. 30 pounds. I mean, they're 170 pounds and for 30 pounds, you can get the test and the earplugs, which is fantastic. Yes. You yeah. have cost of your membership, actually, like it offsets through yeah. if you use this. So I've actually used them and work have given me earplugs now. So I've got to, I've always got a spare set, you know, just in case something happens. Good. I, I, want, I want to mention cleaning your ear protection. Yeah. Keep it clean. Some people will say like, it's good. Some people say, don't do it. But you're saying it's a good thing. Your um, earplugs, nice and clean. Yeah. Or your earplugs. Yes. You can have wax issues. So I think you have to pay for those really now, unfortunately. But yeah, get those checked out because you can just have a a hearing loss from earwax. It's called a conductive Mm. hearing loss. I just read that. Okay. Yeah. The other th- interesting thing on a side note you mentioned is that hearing loss doesn't necessarily make you sensitive to volume. It can also be specific types of sounds. Yeah, for me, I've got sensitive to the sounds that have been nearest me in the orchestra, unfortunately, and that's called recruitment. 
and it's something to do with the hair cells in your inner ear are, are dying back and then they recruit the other cells. I won't go into that because it's scientifically quite complicated. I mean, it's been on the news, hasn't it, about certain musicians have had problems. It's been in the press and those things come about and it's, you don't want to get that basically. It's not nice. It's so interesting and lots of things I didn't know. It seems that one, it's not a black and white issue. Like it doesn't look the same for everyone. And, you know, you really have to kind of use the resources and navigate your own journey with it. Plus. The important bit is it is no reason to be ashamed of asking for help in that area, because basically that's the thing that will stop you from helping yourself. Yeah. And audiologists are there to help you. They are incredibly nice people, very understanding. I think they're trained to be like that because they are dealing with deaf people. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there to help you. And now it's just, as you say, navigating that. I've been extraordinarily lucky that I've found help with a lot of people and I'm still playing, not 100% anymore, but it's not a death sentence to your career. I should be mindful that there are certain musicians that have actually, yes. and I do have reasonable adjustments in the workplace now, which I asked for seven years under the Equality Act. It can be quite difficult. And, and unfortunately, a lot of musicians are very happy to give you advice. They've, everybody's got an opinion about it, which is very annoying. You know, you should do this, you should do that. Oh, you should give up. You shouldn't be asking for this, but just ignore them. You just have to find your own way. You're not going to make everyone happy. And it's a really contentious issue in many ways. And it shouldn't be. The very nature of our work shouldn't be making you like feeling like this. Well, I really appreciate this information and especially like your personal experience out there, right? Because at the end of the day, we can Google hearing support for musicians, but hearing from somebody who's actually been navigating their journey themselves, that's, yeah. I think, really useful. So Thank I'll you. definitely link all of those things you mentioned under the video for people to be able to access. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much. Do you, is there anything else you would like to sort of... Oh, no pressure. <laughs> oh, the earplugs come in different varieties as well. So you don't have to necessarily have the super strong ones. Yeah, we mentioned about traveling. Uh, noise cancelling headphones are really yeah. handy for when you're traveling with an aeroplane. And I tend to sit at the front of an aeroplane because I find it's less noisy than the back. Yeah, and all for coaches, train travel, avoid wearing earbuds. For long periods of time, that is advocated as well because you're actually putting the noise in your your ears. Better than actually headphones. I think so. Yeah. And just keep doing the things you enjoy. Don't let tinnitus or hearing loss rule your lives. Um, hopefully it doesn't define me. There's lots of things I do in my life that I really enjoy. I still really love playing the bass. Funnily enough. <laughs> Thank you so much again. And all of the information will be underneath. Real pleasure. Thank you for sharing. And I'll see you guys here soon. Have a great rest of your day. I'd love to continue the conversation with you. You can find me at musiciansyogawithveronica.com or head over to the Wellbeing for Musicians community Facebook group. It's a private group full of musicians just like you and I, designed to offer you further support and guidance on your journey to becoming a happier, healthier musician.